everyone welcome back to haunted 518 today we, i am drinking adirondack brewing oktoberfest and it is just delicious it's a great beer for a crisp fall day you can't go wrong with it so this week we're going to be talking about Johnstown and Gloversville. I found a little bit about each of them and I thought it was good to just include them because they are so close and um, yeah I thought we would start off with John, uh, Johnstown. So the main thing in Johnstown that I could find something about was the Knox Mansion and it's a historical mansion in the city of Johnstown, Fulton, which is in Fulton County, New York. The house was built in 1889 by the gelatin magnate and businessman Charles Knox, who owned the Knox Gelatin and the Knox Gelatin Factory, which also resides in Johnstown. It has 42 rooms, an elevator, a grand staircase, a solid lava ash fireplace, which was imported from a castle in Italy. The castle uh, from which it came from is, is unknown. The mansion is believed to be haunted. Guests have said that the lights have flickered, lamps dropped, footsteps heard, voices heard, ghosts sighted, cold feelings felt, sheets have been pulled off, piano being played by itself, even though there is a pianist um, also in the billiard room, and other phenomena. Children have reportedly seen the long-since-deceased gardener who apparently loved the company of children. Another rumor is a stillborn baby that was reportedly buried beneath the house in one of the few dirt holes in the basement. This, however, has yet to be confirmed. So I actually wanted to delve a little bit more into the, the old Knox mansion in Johnstown with um, an article that I found in the Daily Gazette. It says, every old house has its characteristic creaks and groans, the hiss and moan, the hiss and moan of steam heat, the whine and crack of old wood, the rustle of mice in the walls. But when you're lying awake in the middle of the night at the old Knox mansion, the things that go bump in the night aren't so easy to explain away. The 110-year-old Johnston home, now run as a museum and bed and breakfast, is rumored to be haunted. My sister and I spent the night there to see if we would meet a ghost ourselves. When we arrived, the downstairs rooms of the mansions were fire-lit by but eerily empty, our footsteps loud on the hardwood floors. We brought our bags upstairs to the master suite, which is spacious and stately, bright with gold leaf details on the walls and ceiling. The suite is decorated with elegant antiques and warmed by a pellet stove in the ornate old fireplace. We spotted no ghosts, but the possibility of their presence crept like spiders up our spines at each unexpected sound, at every wavering shadow. The Knox Mansion sits regally on a land on a lawn adrift with faded orange maple leaves, built for Charles and Rose Knox, founders of the Knox Gelatin Company. The 42-room neoclassical Victorian was completed in 1898 at a cost of 1.2 million. When finished, it contained all of the amenities such money could buy at the time, including indoor plum plumbing and a central vacuum system. After Rose Knox died in 1950, the home passed through several hands, including those of a doctor who reportedly committed suicide there. Antique dealers eventually gained possession and sold off everything from the chandeliers to the porch railings, and the mansion fell into disrepair. 
When current owner Marty Quinn purchased it in 1993 for $179,000, the house was but a specter or a of its former self. The roof was leaking, paint was peeling, ceilings had fallen, the plumbing, heating, and wiring systems needed serious renovation. The house also came with some otherworldly tenants who had no intention of moving out. Not long after Quinn took occupancy, they began to make their presence known. Lights, TVs, and radios began to turn on and off by themselves. Vases tipped over and smashed when no one was nearby. Voices drifted through the house when he was there alone. He could hear the front door creak open and the sound of footsteps in the foyer, but when he went down to greet his guest, the entryway would be empty. But Quinn didn't mind the extra company. I'm not really scared of anything, he says with a shrug. The house had other surprises in store. In a small attic bedroom, there is a three-foot-high door just big enough to crawl through, which leads to a crawl space used for storage. One day, Quinn pushed on the roofing paper stretched atop the rafters directly across from the little door, and instead of pressing against the roof, his hand went straight through. He ripped the paper away and discovered the entrance to a secret room, accessible only through that one tiny door. The large unfinished windowless space has a hardwood floor and a brick chimney rising through its center. On our hands and knees, my sister and I squeezed through the tiny door after Quinn. The smell of dust was pronounced in the darkness, the old floorboards rough and dirty under our hands. Dense shadows crept closer on the light from our cell phone screens, the only illumination in the room. Quinn said he was in once he was in the room with a group of people holding hands in a circle and the candles were going and we heard Psst, hey I'm over here and it sounded like someone was right in the corner but no one was over the past 15 years, Quinn has painstakingly renovated the home and filled it with the beautiful antiques, some of them donated, others hunted down at house sales. Walls have been resurfaced, new old post toppers recreated, gold leaf reapplied to the ceiling in the parlor and master suite. In the library, he placed a glass case full of Knox gelatin memorabilia. The music room now holds a cabinet of beakers and vials that were once used in the Knox laboratory. In the front stairwell, portraits of Charles and Rose Knox look on. Charles seems to turn to follow you as you climb the stairs. Some original treasures, too difficult for the antique dealers to remove from the house, remain as reminders of the Knox family as well. In the billiard room, an enormous gray molded lava ash fireplace obtained from a castle in Italy dominates one wall. Griffins, gargoyles, serpents, cherubs, angels, and devils perch beneath the mantle. Rose Knox reportedly paid $200,000 for it back in the early 1900s. Curved beams of black walnut traverse the billiard room ceiling. Two carved eagles stand back to back at the end of each one. At the far end of the 43-foot-long room, a secret panel, hidden in the black walnut paneling, opens to reveal a cubby where the Knoxes probably kept their valuables. The dining room walls glow with original oak wainscoting that flanks an ornate built-in hutch. A simple wreath design, the symbol of the Knox's family unity, decorates most of the doors in the house. This year, the old Knox mansion was added to the state and national registers of historic places. The home has also been awarded not-for-profit and museum status, 
The first floor is open for tours, and donations of money, memorabilia, and services are accepted to help restore and preserve the history of the Knox family. Upkeep in the huge old house is never ending. You know the movie The Money Pit? I'm living it. Quinn quips. Visitors to the mansion can't help but feel they've stepped back in time, and many leave positive that they've spotted one of the home's past residents. Some say they've seen Rose Knox roaming the house. Others have glimpsed the ghost of the gardener who worked for the Knoxes from 1905 to 1934. A picture of him hangs on the wall in the library. I've had kids point to the picture and say, Mom, look, that's the guy, Quinn says. One guest who spent a night in the mansion reported waking up to seeing a man holding a doctor's bag standing over him. A plumber at the mansion to make to make repairs insists he was the victim of what sounds like a poltergeist's prank. On his way out of the house, the plumber sneaks some mints from the bowl by the front door, and the mints burned his hand. He showed me, Quinn says, they blistered his fingers. Guests greet the home's otherworldly aura with a combination of curiosity, delight, and horror. I've had some people come to the front door, stop there, and just say, I can't come in, Quinn says. The honeymoon couple that was here this past weekend, they wanted their breakfast between 9 and 9.30 a.m. Saturday morning. I was up at 8 o'clock and they weren't here anymore. I still haven't heard what happened, he says. I have some people that get so scared they just pack up and leave. The Knox Mansion has drawn the interest of well-known psychics, local psychics, has been featured in David J. Pitkin's book, New York State Ghosts, and has also been studied by a paranormal investigation team. Halloween is the busiest night of the year at the Knox Mansion. Quinn decorates the first floor with a creepy assemblage of pretend goblins and ghouls. A demon butler stands at the ready in the dining room. A skeleton dressed like the Grim Reaper waits in the doorway to the library. Usually 1,200 to 1,500 people come for trick-or-treating. They wait in line for hours to tour the downstairs, says Quinn. 22 of Quinn's friends dress up to help out and hand $500 worth of candy and to scare trick-or-treaters as they venture through the mansion. Visitors aren't often taken down to the expansive basement, but I was offered that spine-tingling pleasure. I want to get some forensic powder for blood, Quinn says, as he pushed open the door to reveal a dim staircase. I had some psychic people come downstairs and say that all they saw was blood. In one dark, musty subterranean room, a large section of the cement floor has been cut away, the earth beneath covered partially by plywood. I had a psychic come in and he said, you're going to break the floor and you're going to dig down so far, you're going to find a second floor, Quinn recounts. But that below that second floor, the psychic predicted there would be a body. Curious, Quinn broke through the floor and began to dig. To his amazement, he hit a second layer of concrete. He broke through that and dug further and further and further until he had a hole six and a half feet deep. The only thing I found was blisters, he said with a grin, but he still speculates that there might be a body somewhere. I sat in the basement's brick-lined coal bin well after midnight, candles flickering in a rusty cast-iron sconces, a glow-in-the-dark Ouija board balanced between my knees and those of my sister. Self-consciously, eyes closed, we'd implored any lurking spirits to tell us if there was indeed a body buried nearby. The pointer on which we rested our fingertips lightly moved confidently to the word yes.
<laughs> so I thought that was really interesting to start the episode with um, what is like a quintessential spooky place in Johnstown. So um, the Knox Mansion, and seeing as we're only two weeks away from Halloween, that might be a good thing, good place to put on your to-do list for um, Halloween this year. So the next thing in Johnstown that I found was um, some, uh, a story about a mystery, unsolved mystery. And um, this was written, this article was written in 2018, and the title of it is Unsolved Mystery, now 10 years old. And I hadn't really heard of this before, so um, I thought this was really interesting. And actually, I wanted to shout out and give credit to um, someone that I know named Olivia. She actually found a lot of this information for me because she's from Gloversville. So huge shout out and cheers to Olivia. And um, this was definitely one of the stories that she had found, so I thought that was really interesting. So, starting in Johnstown, the city's most questioned unsolved mystery is 10 years old today. Some continue to ask the question, what happened to Kelsey, Kelsey Sue, Kelly Sue Ackernecht? No local observances of the 10th anniversary of Kelly Sue Ackernecht's disappearance are planned today, her family and friends say. The Johnstown Police Department was asked this week if police to this day believe a crime against Kelly Sue was committed. Right now, I don't know for sure, Police Chief David Gilbo said Tuesday. I can't rule it out. Gilbo was lead detective 10 years ago on the Kelly Sue case, and he continues to be so to this day. The city woman was 36 years old when she disappeared on September 30th, 2008. That was the last time she was seen, that night leaving her job as a clerk at the Rite Aid store on Route 30 in Amsterdam. She finished her shift about 9.45 p.m. At the time, Kelly Sue had been living with her husband, Jason, and their eight-year-old daughter, Ashley, at 330 West Main Street in 2008. Her daughter is now 18. At 1.53 a.m. October 1, 2008, a Johnstown police officer on a routine patrol found the vehicle that Akernacht had supposedly been trying to drive home in. The green 1998 Saturn sedan was burnt and on fire, parked in the city's Frog Hollow section on the west side of West Montgomery Street. If she was there, Kelly Sue was only a few blocks from home. Police said evidence of human remains were never found in the vehicle. Frog Hollow, a wooded neighborhood at the bottom of West Montgomery Street Hill, lies near the rail trail on the west side of the city. Jason Ackernacht reported his wife missing to authorities around 2 a.m. on October 1st. Police immediately pulled out the put out the word that Kelly Sue, who wore glasses, was missing. They described her as a white female, 5 foot 8 inches tall and weighing approximately 135 pounds, with brown eyes and short red auburn, naturally curly hair. Gilbo said if Sally Kelly Sue was harmed, he doesn't believe it was in Johnstown. We've gotten a few recent leads, Gilbo said. We're still continuing to investigate all of them. Gilbo talked to the FBI at the time of the disappearance because it was believed that the case might be related to an Alaskan serial killer who came through the area, but the time frame never quite matched up. We've gone through a whole gamut of things, Gilbo said. He said husband Jason has been interviewed many times. 
City police have kept the burned remains of the Saturn vehicle in city custody over the years. He said Johnstown police and state police have found no criminal activity with the car. He said there remains no evidence whatsoever of a human being having died in the car. Meanwhile, Gilbo said the police have done several re-interviews in recent months and will continue to do so. Kelly Sue's daughter, Ashley, who will be 19 in October, noted Thursday that if half her life had been consumed by her mother's disappearance. I'm still very close with Dave Gilbo, Ashley Ackernacht says. It's still an open case and it's still being investigated. Kelly Sue's brother, Tom Kilcullen, has been a vocal critic of the police investigation into into his sister's disappearance over the years. I feel it's gone through a cold case, Kilcullen said. Kilcullen said he doesn't believe that no one may have been burned up in the car fire. I don't believe it at all, he said. I think someone else drove that car. He noted the car seat was moved back far, as if a tall person was driving, not his sister. I would like the public to keep her name out there, Kilcullen said. I still say somebody knows something, but no one has spoken up. I think it's something local. City police a year ago put out this last public statement on the case. After following up on over 340 leads, conducting over 100 interviews, and following up on numerous cases of human remains being discovered, the department has not been able to locate Kelly Sue. The release says, The department is asking for the public to contact us with any information that you may have in this case, even if they think we have been notified in the past. The contact can be anonymous, but the department would rather have a phone number or email address in order to ask some follow-up questions if needed. Anyone with information is asked to contact the Johnstown Police Department in one of these methods online at crimetip at cityofjohnstown.newyork.gov and also jpd at cityofjohnstown.newyork.gov or by phone at 518-736-4021. So I thought that that was an interesting thing to talk about, not only because it's creepy and unsolved, but also just to, you know, uh, shed some light on it and potentially give that information to people who didn't know about it that could potentially, you know, who knows, you never know, end up solving the case or help in aiding it getting solved. So yeah, that was interesting and I thought that was uh, fun to delve into a little bit. So next we're going to move on to Gloversville, and the place that I thought was um, the most prominent out of everything I could find was the Fulton County Historical Society on Kingsboro Avenue. So the mission of the Fulton County Historical Society is to acquire, preserve, and promote the history of Fulton County, New York. Headquartered inside the old Kingsboro School, constructed in 1900 on the site of the original Kingsboro Academy, the museum's exhibits explore the history of the community from the industry to from industry to sports to military and more. The Fulton County Historical Society collection consists of thousands of artifacts that span from the earliest years of the county through 2018, but many have experienced something else within the museum's walls, perhaps stemming from the artifacts or the old jail cell, or something else entirely. 
Paranormal teams from around the state have conducted investigations in the building. They've captured some pretty spectacular EVP evidence and shared their findings in public presentations. The museum's volunteers and staff has all, have also had their fair share of firsthand experiences, from already closed doors slamming shut to the model train operating on its own accord. With so many artifacts and in a building that was full of energetic students for nearly a century, it's no wonder that there are still many be some spirits lingering. So next I wanted to talk about the paranormal research group that said it encountered two spooky experiences and recorded several others. The Northern New York Paranormal Research Society spent Tuesday night and Wednesday morning hunting spirits said to be haunting the Fulton County Museum in Gloversville. This was um, from an article in the Daily Gazette back in um, 2012. Meryl McKee, a leader of the Northern New York Paranormal Research Society, declined to classify the experiences as paranormal just yet, however. I am not ready to say that. I can say for sure we experienced some things that were unexplained, he said. We would like to go back in the future and try to debunk those things and find possible explanations. And if not, we would look for paranormal explanations. McKee said the investigation Tuesday night and early Wednesday morning by the Society, a non-profit organization formed in 2001, recorded an EVP or electronic voice phenomena containing the distinct sound of high heels walking on wood or concrete in the museum's attic. Research teams also snapped a picture of what they termed an apparition. The Facebook site of Fulton County and Beyond has posted the footsteps audio and a screenshot of the alleged apparition. The team investigated the attic and found the flooring consisted of a soft material and capable of creating the clicking sounds. They have no explanation of the apparition. We have seven or eight EVPs we could not explain, including the high heels, McKee said. An electronic voice phenomena is defined as a sound that has been recorded on an electronic device that has not been heard by the unaided ear. Team members said 80% of their findings are through digital recordings of EVPs. The team also witnessed but did not record an incident in the sports memorabilia room where members had established their base of operations. The incident involved a sealed display case shaking unexpectedly and causing three baseball cards to drop from their perches. The other cards did not fall, McKee said. We tested the case and pushed on the wall. We have no explanation why the cards fell. He said a video camera in the room was naturally facing the wrong way. The society took up the challenge as part of the Fly 92 radio station's 7th annual Haunted House broadcast and to promote the museum, which is struggling to attract an audience. The society has worked with the radio station for the last four years on the event. The event was supposed to involve 15 guests spending the night with most of the 14-member society team and live broadcasts. These were canceled due to Hurricane Sandy. The society conducted its investigation and still presented preliminary findings Wednesday morning on the radio station. The society's goal is to debunk alleged paranormal activity using scientific methods and equipment. Its motto is Seek Truth. Brian Leeton 
a team leader said, you have a better chance of winning the lottery than seeing a ghost. McKee said certain paranormal activities can be explained naturally using physics, and some cannot be explained. One theory is that spirits exist, but humanity does not yet have the technology to detect them, said Carmen Rust, lead historic researcher for the group. So that was interesting to kind of hear uh, people's firsthand experiences in the area. Um, This next thing I wanted to talk about, um, my uh, friend Olivia also brought to my attention, and it's just way too creepy not to mention. So the title of this article is Gloversville, New York, Home Sold with Creepy Fully Functioning uh, Crematory. A home in upstate New York came with a strange feature and the owner is trying to find anyone who can take it off the property and possibly put it to good use. When most people buy a home, there are a few things that they are looking for. The list of priorities can vary, but it really depends on what is important to the potential buyer. Some people look for a nice view, a finished basement, or maybe even a two-car garage. I'm not an expert in the real estate market, but I'm going to guess that one of the last things people look for in a new home is a way to dispose of remains. Facebook Marketplace offers a ton of things ranging from regular everyday items like clothing to some older antiques and rare collectibles. One of the most unique things listed on Facebook Marketplace is getting viral attention. You may be wondering what the heck this thing is because I sure didn't know. I doubt the average person would either. It's a working crematory and it was listed for sale on a local online yard sale group. The owner purchased the home that was owned by a veterinarian. According to the listing, it was built about six years ago and it's still in working condition. The homeowner could remove or destroy it himself, but instead he hopes that another local veterinarian will buy it from him. He's asking $25,000 for the unit as they go for as much as $75,000 brand new. So I will definitely be posting pictures of this. It is creepy to look at. And um, yeah, I don't think I could could buy a house that that has that. Absolutely not. So yeah, so moving on in Gloversville, the next thing quickly I wanted to mention, because I did find it um, online in a few different places, was Prospect Hill Cemetery. In July of 1874, the Omaha Daily Bee newspaper reported a ghostly woman in white at the Prospect Hill Cemetery. She was seen from an adjacent marble cutting shop coming from the cemetery straight towards the shop's door. The frightened shop occupants hurried out the back, but the ghost appeared before them, asking them where her children were. One man pulled out a gun and shot at the ghost, which did nothing, so they followed her to the cemetery where she disappeared. The ghost came back again the next night. After that, the men decided to go someplace else to sleep at night. Oh, that's creepy. So um, next, I wanted to read two local stories from the book Ghosts of the Northeast by David J. Pitkin, which we mentioned, that have to uh, do with Gloversville. So the first story is called Gina's House. I lived in that house on 23 Eagle Street in Gloversville for quite a few years, Gina told me. It always scared me. When I was was 17, I began to hear footsteps going upstairs about 5.30 a.m., then a loud swishing and the footsteps would stop at the top of the stairs. All I could think of was old-fashioned crinolines beneath a woman's skirt, but of course no one in the house wore them in this day and age. 
When I told my mother, she admitted she had heard the sounds too, before I did. She didn't tell me because she had one, hadn't wanted to alarm me. The house was for sale, surprisingly cheap, which attracted my mom to buy it. Customers at mom's hairdressing shop warned her that the woman who'd lived there developed mental problems, but mom believed we were made of stronger stuff. She could also save money by moving her shop into the house once we moved in. When she began to lose weight and say the craziest things, however, I really began to worry. After a while, we noticed that each of us was missing some possession, which would all reappear later. Odd things. Dad's work shirt and my ceramic pumpkin, for example. I became anxious because of this and I was afraid to come home too late at night for fear of what new mystery I'd encounter. My brother and sister felt the same way, but there was no rational explanation for our fears and apprehension. Once my sister couldn't get her bedroom window to close, by then we'd figured we'd at least had one ghost, so she flippantly asked for help, and immediately the window came crashing down. Slam. Another night, I awoke at 2.35 a.m. A slight movement had caught my eye. A man was standing at the corner of my bed. I pulled the covers over my head, too scared to look, and eventually fell back asleep. The next night, I awoke to the same time. He was there again. This time, to, this time, I looked at him more closely. He was thin and had short white hair, and I thought he looked like a professor. I covered my head again, shaking with fright. Thankfully, he didn't come again after that. My mom said that each morning after everyone went to school or work leaving her alone in the house, she'd hear the floor creaking as someone walked through the doorway of my bedroom. Our dog reacted by running back and forth with his tail tucked between his legs. Gina's parents argued more frequently, struggling with marital problems. Her mother began to sleeping downstairs on the couch and began hearing someone walk through the room, though she couldn't see anyone. One night she awoke hearing the floor creak, rolled over in time to see a shadow, and screamed. As she did so, the shadow zoomed up the stairs. Shortly afterward, she had a serious car accident, and it was believed that it was somehow connected to the ghost. My sister and her boyfriend stood in the kitchen chatting. During their conversation, a movement in the pantry caught his attention. He saw the back of a short man, bald-headed, fringed with long hair. He slowly turned toward them, and they described the man as troll-like. Her boyfriend was very scared by the experience. He only told me about it years later. He noted that it's one thing to seek a good frightening horror film in a theater, but it's something else to have to cope with such characters right in one's house. I think I've attracted to such entities, Gina mused. Once when I was shopping at Nellick's Warehouse in Troy, I bumped into something that would not let me pass. Upset, I turned and ran outside. (laughs) That Eagle Street house was an eye-opener. It showed me another world right next to what most people call reality. I learned that this dimension can be experienced in old houses, but back then I didn't anticipate those events or realize that former residents could still cling to our house. It caused me to seek more information about the world of ghosts and spirits. So that's like my worst nightmare right there, just living in a straight up haunted house. Um, You don't know if you're going to walk around a corner and see someone and hearing someone and um, several houses that I stayed in uh, growing up and when I was younger, footsteps was 
one of the most scary things that I had to deal with and um, disembodied footsteps and still to this day I don't know why it's just one of the most terrifying things to me I hate it so the next thing is called the dead and dying the Derek Sutherland transferred to a new job in Gloversville New York from Rhode Island where he'd worked in the textile lamination business he his new textile managerial job with was with the Lee Dying Company, placing him in several buildings, among them the old H.S. Shotwell Company on South Main Street in Gloversville. He applied himself earnestly, learning new regulations and techniques, often working until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. I really didn't know what the old rundown building had been used for before. I hadn't heard any stories from the Shotwell Times and was intent on the demands of my new job, he said. One autumn evening in 1986, about 10 p.m., Derek took the old elevator to the second floor, which company records called the storage area. The elevator had no lights and creaked its way upwards in the darkness. When it stopped, he slid the door open and was taken aback. In the gloom, there appeared a dozen workers busy with machines that he didn't recognize. From time to time, they'd take a large pieces of material and affix them to hooks hanging from the ceiling. Nobody noticed him. A woman worker walked his way, looking straight at or through him. Derek waited for her to speak, but she didn't, turning to his right and disappearing. What were they doing? Nobody had told him of a second-floor workforce. They all seemed surrounded in a fog or mist and were dressed in black and white or gray colors. Tired and amazed, he rubbed his eyes. When Derek looked again, nobody was there. All that was visible in the dim window light was the fabric bales and packing crates, stuff that was supposed to be there. Everything was covered with dust, and there were no workers. Recognizing that he was tired, he went downstairs, finished his work, and went home. A few months later, Derek met and talked with Tom, a former maintenance man who had worked in the Shotwell Tannery years before. Derek asked Tom the purpose of the upstairs ceiling hooks, and Tom was surprised. There are no hooks in the ceiling now, but there used to be when I worked up there a dozen years ago. They used to hang hides and skins up there when this was a leather company. The hooks were all removed when Shotwell sold out. How did you know about them? The building was vacant from 1975 to 1986. Derek told Tom about his vision of the workers and the machines. Tom didn't laugh, but instead became quiet thinking. Over the next 10 years, Derek noted the various employees resisted going up to the second floor. Some seemed scared and wouldn't talk about the issue. It only happened once to me, said Derek, but I wonder if other guys have seen something too. How else can you explain their hesitation to go up to a storage area? Old timers described the building as the rebel plant and noted that Lee Dying has stopped production there, expecting to tear it down in 2002. I dropped by the plant and found one employee still there. Robert Pitkovich is the inventory clerk who spends most of his days alone in the old buildings. So Derek explained that, he asked thoughtfully. Well, I don't doubt it. Many times I hear people coming downstairs from the second floor, even though I know nobody has come in. I go out and check each time, but nobody is ever there. Come and look at this old ramp, he invited me. This is an old dock plate that we've moved to the foot of the ramp to make moving things easier. Several times a week, I'll hear it clunk, as if someone or something heavy had just pressed it down. I jump up to look, but the building is quiet and nobody is in sight. There sure is something left over from the old days here, though it doesn't scare me. I laugh and yell at whoever it is quiet down 
quiet down out there, but there's never any answer. Gloversville is an old industrial city whose prosperous time seems to have come and gone. Many old leather and glove factories in Fulton County have closed in recent decades, but in one old mill on certain nights and for certain people, the hustle and bustle of the good old days may all come alive again. The idea of returning to full employment and the huge leather industry payrolls at the old mills, I think, would be enough to gladden the hearts of the Gloversville city's fathers. So (laughs) I thought those were two really great uh, stories from the awesome author David J. Pitkin that I have talked about, I know, uh, numerous times on this podcast now. So next, um, in the spirit of keeping with uh, personal stories that happened in Gloversville, I did have a few that I wanted to tell. This one is submitted by Kenneth. I went for a walk through the woods with friends of mine, and we came to to this area closed by a fence. One of my friends told me about a boy who was drowned in a swamp right next to the fenced-off area. He said the boy's spirit comes out of the swamp around midnight. I thought he was trying to scare me, but around 11.30 we heard what sounded like someone wading through the swamp. We left as soon as we heard it, and I looked back after we moved away from the swamp, and I saw a dark figure walk out of the foliage in the swamp. I was scared quite a bit, and I am never going there again. The swamp is right near the trailer park on the arterial east of the Italian Bistro restaurant. So the, um, (laughs) that's scary. And the next one is submitted by Carla. Kingsborough Graveyard. I was driving around bored with my friends. We thought it would be fun to go for a ride in the graveyard to see if we would see anything. Well, I sure did, and so did my (laughs) ex-boyfriend. We were driving up a long, spooky, dark path that was wide open with only a few trees when I had seen a white figure cross the pathway and go behind a tree. Mind you, this was only about 15 feet away. I had gotten closer, and I looked behind the tree. It disappeared behind there, and there was nothing there. I looked for it as far as I could see, but there was nothing, and that was the only tree around. I didn't say anything to anyone until we left the graveyard because I was so frightened. When we pulled out, I quietly whispered to my ex that I am not crazy, and I know I saw something. Before he even before I could even finish my sentence, he said, I know, I saw it too. So I felt a lot better... to know that I wasn't the only one that witnessed it and that I wasn't going crazy. Since then, I have never stepped foot or driven in that graveyard. (laughs) So, um, I don't think that I would go back either, (laughs) Carla. The next one submitted by Amanda. I was born and raised in Gloversville, New York. I remember when I was 16 and my sister was 12, we went into our basement to clean up the toys and shut things off. Me being the scared one brought down with me a can of non-stick spray. Once, (laughs) why? And once I hit the bottom of the basement stairs, I had cold chills go through me with a weird feeling. So I sprayed the can and lo and behold, I've seen my grandfather's face. What? I didn't know that was a thing. Both my sister and I bolted up the stairs and creaking, uh, creaking, and we cried. We told our parents, and my stepmom asked us if Grandpa ever heard us. We said no, and she said he was just watching us. So to this day, I will be not going back back to the house or that basement. My parents don't live there anymore, but they do live across the street from there. And then lastly, it says, 
Uh, this is submitted by Ricky, and this says, I saw the ghost of a Mohawk Indian in the front of my friend's house in St. Johnsville, New York. There is also the ghost of a murdered of a murderer who skinned children's alive in an abandoned factory just outside of St. Johnsville, border going into the Glo- Gloversville suburbs. I don't have the address because I was only there once. Um, that's terrifying. The ghost of a murderer who skinned children alive in an abandoned factory. <laughs> like, that's the recipe for a Hollywood terrifying uh, horror flick. <laughs> um, so yeah, so those were all the stories that I had. And there were just a few other fun little things that I wanted to mention that kind of happened in the Johnstown Gloversville area. Um, the first was at Stump City Brewing in Gloversville, New York. They have something called Forest of Nightmares, and, um, it looks like they do, do it, uh, the full month of October from October 1st to the 31st, and it's every weekend. Uh, the first two weekends are Friday through Sunday, and the last three weekends are from Thursday through Sunday. Um, it starts from 6.45 p.m. to 11 p.m., and it's called the Forest of Nightmares, and it's a 20-minute walk through the woods, and it says there's 12 spooky scenes and 25 actors, um, and they're also actually hiring actors, which is pretty sweet too. So it looks like you can go get delicious uh, beer, local beer, plus um, go through a spooky haunted forest house walk <laughs> in the woods. And then also in Gloversville, something I found on Facebook was something called Stonewell, Stonewell Haunt. And it says Stonewell Haunt Returns. And it's 82 Steel Ave, S-T-E-E-L-E, Steel Ave, Gloversville, New York. Um, and it looks like it's kind of like a homemade uh, haunted house. It says an award-winning family haunt since 1997, unlike anything you've ever seen. And um, according to this year, excuse me, it is back on. And I think after the pandemic happened, uh, or during the pandemic, you it wasn't happening last year. But um, it does look like it's happening this year. So I think it's just a family that goes like, all out and um it looks like people definitely enjoy it and they do charge ten dollars for walking through these attractions because they're supposedly like uh grander than just a regular decorated house so stonewell haunt um so if you're in the area it might be worth uh checking out that was 82 steel ave in gloversville and then lastly, I found about the uh, Fulton County Museum that we talked about. This happened uh, two days ago, but I did want to, or actually three days ago, but I did want to um, just mention it in case they do it again um, or do it next year and you want to follow them. But on the haunted Fulton County on... Um, uh, Fulton County Museum's Facebook page. It says Thursday, October 14th, 2021 at 630. They did um, a show at the Fulton County Museum where they talked about whose spirit really walks the stairs at the Union Hall Inn. And then also do the ghosts of the drowned Lafir brothers return to Nine Corner Lake during summer storms? What kind of ghostly presence lingers at the Glove Theater? And are Rose and Charles Knox still hanging around at their Johnstown mansion? 
Get in the Halloween spirit as we explore some of Fulton County's ghostly past. Um, it says, please note that the space is limited and seats are first come, first serve, and a suggested donation of $5. So um, it looks like 48 people did go to it, um, and looks like it was a successful event. So I just wanted to kind of put that on everybody's radar. I'm going to follow them in the advent that they do this next year. I think that would be so fun to go to. So um, Fulton County Museum on Facebook, and specifically the event was called Haunted Fulton County. So that is it. Lots of fun, spooky, creepy information about Johnstown and Gloversville. And, um, and as always, I wanted to give credit to the websites and people that I got this information from. Like I said, um, my uh, friend Olivia found a lot of this for me because she's from there. So again, thank you so much for bringing a bunch of this to my attention, especially like the crematory. I don't know if I would have found that. That's so creepy. Um, but other than Olivia, we have the hauntedhistorytrail.com. We have the Daily Gazette. We have the leaderherald.com. We have ultimateunexplained.com, hauntedplaces.org, ghostsofamerica.com, stumpcitybrewery.com, and then Stonewell Haunts uh, on Facebook and the Fulton County Museum on Facebook. So, as always, I hope you guys have a spooky week. We're only two weeks away from Halloween. And, um, yeah, I hope you guys uh, are cooking up some awesome costumes and planning on doing something fun this year hopefully there's more going on this year than last year and yeah on that note a big cheers to everybody and uh happy haunting